All right. Thank you for, for letting Anthony have the time to participate in the work of the Presbyterian. We have 130 churches now. Isn't that crazy? God has been blessed. Uh, we, you know, we don't really even call ourselves a denomination anymore. In fact, we don't. Because uh, quite honestly, we believe that the age of the denomination is dead in our world. And honest, for me, I'm grateful for that. We call ourselves a, a global movement of like-minded churches. And, and that's where our heart is. Uh, and the heart of that movement is the love for lost people. I mean, when I look out, I know that every person here, whether you know the Lord or not, at one point we were all lost, right? Amen? Is there any Baptists out there? Come on. Amen? We were all lost at one point. And uh, God, through his grace and mercy brought us into the family. So it's a real privilege and a blessing to be here this morning, and I'm grateful. Uh, and I want to talk about something that we don't talk about very much, time. As you can see from the bulletin, if you have a bulletin, the, the, what we're going to do today, it's all about time. So if you would, turn in your Bibles, which is really weird because nowadays they just turn on your Bible. You know, so please, if you would, because I, I need you to follow along with me. And, and for those of you who are here today and, uh, you know, the, you're still seeking to find something, that's okay. It's, it's great that you're here, and we really appreciate that. And uh, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. It's uh, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. So, you know, if, if you get prophets you know, like uh, Jeremiah and whatever, you've gone too far. So go back. Anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I used to give people a page, but they don't have them in these things anymore. So, listen to the word of the Lord. For everything there is season, a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. May God add his blessing to this his holy word. For the last couple of decades, one of the strongest trends in church growth has been to take on what's called a seeker-sensitive approach to the church. Have you all ever heard that was the word, seeker-sensitive? Okay, well, this has been kind of a growth model for the last decade or maybe a little longer. And, and in this approach to evangelism, Christian worshiping communities like yourself are called upon to evaluate everything we do, uh, including our worship time even, uh, which is sacred in most places, uh, that worship time and how we do it. And to ask ourselves how church could be made more inviting for spiritually seeking 
non-church folks, right? And, and the stimulus for this is the reality, okay, that in a broken, complicated world, we often find ourselves facing times and seasons in our lives that test us to the limits, okay? Um, and the premise behind the whole seeker-sensitive movement is that there's an assumption that when these testing times occur, perhaps the death of a loved one, uh, an illness, or, or a loss of a job, a breakup of a family, or even perhaps a national disaster, kind of like what we're seeing in the Midwest with this crazy flooding and tornadoes, okay, or these these hurricanes that float through, or mass shootings, okay? Things like that, tragedies. It's these times that people who might not otherwise give church or God the time of day might actually be willing to see if there's any substance in both, okay? So... Honestly, I like the concept of being a seeker-sensitive church. And over the last decade, I think many worshiping communities like you, we've studied and we bought into many of these seeker-sensitive concepts. And we brought them into our worshiping communities in one or another. You have as well. okay? And you may not even know it. Now, I also agree with the assumption that when times of tragedy and heartbreak erupt, right, in our lives. We all struggle to make sense of it, don't we? Yeah. And, and as many of you probably have even experienced in your own lives, okay, these times are God moments, aren't they? Think about it. When, when our lives go crazy, these moments of confusion and disruption are actually God moments in our lives. However, this is the thing. However, as helpful as seeker sensitivity has been in aiding church growth, nonetheless, there are some drawbacks, I think, that warrant special attention. For example, one flaw in this whole concept that can occur if we let it happen, and this, I think, is really kind of really to you especially, is that churches can get so focused on putting tons of resources into our facilities and into our programs that we forget that people are really the center of what the church is about, okay? Now, please, don't misunderstand me here, okay? Uh, I think we should use all the resources that God gives a community. Is everybody with me today? Are we, are we awake? All right, stay with me on this. I believe we should, we should use all the resources God gives us. Uh, and, and especially, you know, if God gives us an incredible building like he's given you. Because, by the way, Anthony called me, like, I don't remember, six or eight months ago. And he says, okay, I want to talk to you about something. Like I said, okay. He said, well, I don't even know how to say this, but I think somebody's going to give us a building. And I'm like, what, wait, what? He said, I think somebody's going to give us a building. Really? That's kind of cool. It's actually a church. What? Somebody's going to give you a church? And he goes, yeah. So how do we do this? You know, how do we get this? How do we make this happen? I said, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I'm so used to helping churches fight to keep their church, you know, their building as they as they fight their way out of our, the previous denomination, which we won't talk about anyway. But we had a wonderful conversation and I could tell that the Lord was really in this moment is a God moment. And, it's, and it was really cool to see it now. Uh, 
to be here. So don't hear me wrong, okay? I'm not saying it's bad to have a building. I'm just saying that sometimes we can focus on a building. Do you know that? And, uh, or on programs. And we can make it so, so program-centered that we don't strike that balance. And we forget the whole reality that the church is the people. It's not the programs, not the buildings, okay? So let me just break this down a little bit. We live in an amusement, entertainment-driven culture, don't we? Think about it, okay? And it's easy for churches to fall victim to that same temptation that in order to capture the attention of non-believers, we have to entertain them, okay? And don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that the church should be boring either because it's simply not true. Church can be fun, engaging, right? Okay? Uh, It can be... In energizing, and it should be all those things because Christian life is fun. It's energizing and it's engaging. In fact, Jim Rayburn, who's the founder of Young Life, you ever heard of Young Life? Okay, yeah. Uh, I hung out a lot with Young Life people. They're crazy. I love them. But Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, uh, said two things that have always stuck with me. First, you ready? He said, it's a sin to bore a kid with the, bot, with the gospel. That was one of his favorite sayings. It's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. Now, I think we should extrapolate that and say, quite honestly, it's a sin to bore anybody with the gospel, isn't it? Whether they're a kid or an adult. All right? Now, the second saying gets more to where the heart of where we're going this morning is, okay? And that's this. A Christian has to earn the right to share the gospel with non-believers. Did you hear that? A Christian, a Christ follower, a devoted Christ follower, has to earn the right to share the gospel with non-believers. Now, why did he say this and what did he mean by it? Just this. Christian evangelism is not about setting up shop in a building, designing great programs, and then wishing for bad circumstances to bring people into church. That's not what it's about. Instead, it's about people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're willing to extend unconditional friendship, all right, to not only those inside the church, but to those outside the church, our Christian neighbors and our non-Christian neighbors alike. That's what Christian evangelism is. It's being willing to extend unconditional friendship. Now, This is why, from time to time, I remind myself that if all of my friends, if I look around myself and I see that all of my friends are church people and I don't have any non-church friends, I'm hanging around with the wrong crowd. Okay? Now, that's not what your parents probably tell you, but that's what I think. That when I look around and and all my friends are Christians and I have no non-Christian friends, I am, I am definitely hanging around with the wrong crowd, and I need to expand my circle of friends. And maybe you need to think about that, too. Look at your life. Look at who surrounds your life, okay? Are there any non-believers and non-church people in your life? Or is all your church friends, okay? Because we tend to do that in the church. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I might add, the mission of, of any worshiping community is deeply rooted in both loving each other within the church, our church family, our worshiping communities, and fervently sharing the good news that God is in the sinner-saving business 
with our lost friends and neighbors, right? Because I, we agreed. We were all lost at one time. I know I was. And somebody loved me enough to share what being in relationship with Jesus Christ was like, okay? Now, this is really what the passage is about this morning. I think you thought, thought I forgot about the passage, but we're getting there. This is what the passage is about. It's about how to understand and deal with these times and seasons of life when they arise. The God moments, right? The God moments. Now, our passage also provides a great framework to ask some really important questions about life and to seek, I think, some really equally important answers that are truthful and meaningful in our lives. You see, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, it's a poem that was written by someone who identifies himself as Koheleth, okay, which in Hebrew means the teacher. Now, some have traditionally uh, speculated that this was Solomon, okay, King David's son, actually, Solomon. He's Koheleth. But you know something? Because the author of Ecclesiastes intended to remain anonymous, we're going to leave him Koheleth today. Is that okay? All right, good. Okay, Kahala's main purpose in this Old Testament work is that our human experience can get awful mundane, awful confusing, and even downright meaningless during certain seasons and at specific times based on our life situations. Did you hear that? That's the premise of this whole work in the Old Testament, is that our lives can get mundane, confusing, okay, and and downright meaningless in certain times and seasons in our lives. Now, the teacher further contends that when life becomes mundane, confusing, and meaningless, we all search for something to find purpose in life. And it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. If you're here this morning and you you love Jesus and you're here this morning and you don't know really who you are or what you are, we all have the same commonality here. When our life gets mundane, it gets confusing, it gets meaningless, we all search for something in which we can put purpose in life and something that makes it worth living. We all do that. So in Ecclesiastes, Koheleth explores the options that most people most often take when that happens in life. And shows us that in the times of searching, some of us look to things like nature, self-indulgence, uh, money or, or material things, prestige, power, knowledge and philosophy. Sometimes we even will look in religious rituals to find meaning. But the truth be told, when our lives feel meaningless, yours and mine, we will all search for meaning somewhere. Right? We'll all crave it and look for it. And where we going to say a lot about whether or not we're actually going to find it. So, as we see from our passage and the verses that immediately follow it, we're going to look at those two, Koheleth relates to us that there is no meaning in life if our definition of life begins and ends with our earthly reality and our experience alone, us. Koheleth artfully argues that if we don't define life in the context and concept of our relationship with God, we aren't going to find meaning. For living, it makes life, pain, suffering, and mundaneness worth it. We won't find it if we don't find it in context of our relationship with God. He forces us to transcend our lives 
and to look for something that's more eternal, not temporal. So, in a few moments, we're going to get down in this passage. Okay, Anthony said, he, he actually wrote, and I can read you this. He said, Buck, you can preach for about 30 minutes. Okay, if you go five, ten minutes more, they probably will forgive you. He said, if you go five to ten minutes less, they'll love you. So, <laughs> I'm just giving you a heads up. All right. That's what our passage is about, and we're going to get into it. Before we do that, uh, would you pray with me? And by the way, I loved your prayer, so I'm just going to expand on it. Yeah, that we don't, we leave here different. Let's just pray that no matter how you walked in the door today, no matter who, where you are in your season of life, okay, whether you're high on a cloud for Jesus or whether you're in the deepest valley lost and life is mundane and you're just ready to quit, wherever you are today, we're going to pray that we all leave here different, including me. I need that. So, Lord, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, that, that my words would like hit the ground and your word would hold in our hearts and that no person would leave here the same, that we would be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit even now and that we would be different. You would become the center of our lives even more than you are. Would you do that for us? We call upon your Holy Spirit even now, Lord. Come, rest in this place, in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning begins with the call for us to think about something we seldom really think about, yet something that impacts every moment of our lives. Did you get it yet, what it is? Time, yeah. Time, time. And as a pastor, I can tell you, I heard that word a lot, all right? But it was usually when I was with people one-on-one -on -one and they were struggling with something. That's the, about the only time I'd hear that word, time, okay? Now, for, for most of us, time doesn't matter until it makes itself evident by some event, right? Or some situation in our life. Okay, let's, let's just play a game here. This is the interactive part of the sermon, okay? For those that you are on the verge of falling asleep and you don't have enough coffee. This is the interactive part of the sermon. You fill in the blank, okay? I feel so stretched and exhausted. I just wish I had more. Come on, everybody here. Try it again, that was a practice. I feel so stretched and exhausted. I just wish I had more. There you go. Or, if I had just known I was going to get cancer, I would have spent more time yeah, doing this or doing that. Or try this one. This was always one of my favorites because I knew a story was coming. I don't know what I was thinking. It sure seemed like a good idea. The... Right, yeah, that, I've heard that one before. I've even said that one before. You see, I could go on and on with this. But the truth is, we usually don't think about time until something happens that forces us to do that or until it's gone and we wanted more of it, right? In Ecclesiastes, Koheleth uses two Hebrew words to relate to the concept of time uh, and help us understand it. And if it weren't for the Greeks, quite honestly, we would have lost it because the Greeks actually translated it for us in 200 BC when they put the Septuagint together, which is the Greek 
translation of the Hebrew Bible because the Hebrew words were hard to understand. But the Greeks had, you know, Greeks were really precise in their language. So they helped us to understand this. Okay, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word that expresses a, the concept of a duration of time, okay, was chronos. And we often translate that with the English word season. Do you see? Duration of time, season, chronos. All right. Now, the other Greek word that was used to express a specific time is kairos. And we translate it with the English word time. Season, time. Okay? Now, quite honestly, I was raised on the NIV. I love the NIV. But I think the NIV got it wrong here. Okay? I think it reversed them in this passage this morning when it quotes Kohelet as saying this, that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity. You see, I think the ESV, which is what I read this morning to you, I think the ESV is spot on. It says there is a season for everything and a time for every activity. Time to do this, time to do that. So what does it mean, season, and a time for everything? It means that the scripture points to the truth that there are appointed times and appropriate times. Did you got that? There's appointed times, and then there's appropriate times for every human activity. Every human activity. So what's the difference between appointed and appropriate? And how do these things relate to my life? Because, see, that's really why you're here this morning, right? How does this relate to my life, okay? Me, your life. So what's the difference? See, Koheleth doesn't leave us wondering. He explains this in the verses that directly follow the poem I read to you, 1 through 8. Starting in verse 9, would you look at it with me together? Turn to verse 9, chapter 3, in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes. Listen to the word of the Lord. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity. Did you hear that? He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy. And when he says men, folks, don't get hung up on that. That's, that's people, men and women, all right? There's nothing better for men to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift from God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. That means we'll respect him, which means seek him. Okay? So whatever is has already been done, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past into account. So what Koheleth is saying here is that there are appointed times or seasons which God has called into existence for all arenas and activities of human existence. Okay, there's seasons that God has appointed for all activities of human existence. But within these appointed seasons, there are specific times, appropriate times, when we are called to respond to our situation. Respond really does make a difference. Did you get that? Read it again. There are, there are appointed seasons that God called uh, into existence for all arenas of human activity. But within these seasons, there are appropriate times where things happen in our lives that God has called these times, this time, this moment for us. And how we respond to that moment 
really does make a difference. It makes a difference here, and it makes a difference in eternity as well. So, Kohelis tells us that God has purposed a plan that makes it all work. Just like every season in the earth cycle has a specific purpose for happening. Have you ever, you've noticed that, right? All the seasons, you know, that, and all the stuff that happens, it always happens every year, and it's always for a specific purpose. And this is what is beautiful about the purpose is, it's, it's all these things work in accordance, okay? And the result is the world is a place of beauty and wonder, isn't it? When everything's working right, the world is a beautiful place. And it is so full of wonder. It's crazy. See, now, Coelho says, okay, he asserts that same principle into the sphere of human activity. He says, we all have seasons of life. And when we respond appropriately to the seasons, in the end, our lives are fraught with what? Beauty and wonder. And when we respond appropriately at the right times, we are turned from defining our meaningless and mundaneness lives of being trapped in, in often confusing situations, uh, cycles of existence. We're, those things are transformed into us seeing life through the wonder of God's eyes. And, and, and then we enter into the world of eternal. And folks, that's the world where Jesus is. Jesus lives in that world of eternal, and he's building his kingdom in that world. And when we get trapped in our existence, our situations, our mundaneness, we don't see that world. Do you see what he's saying here? God wants us in that world. Now, when we boil all of this down, I have to ask myself, what does it really mean for me, practically speaking, you, practically speaking? And I think all of this can reduce, be reduced to three principles to live by every day, okay? Now, this is, the, this is the part of the sermon where if you're a note taker, okay, you get your pen out, right? Okay, I'm just giving you a heads up. Three principles that help us, you, me, to, to step out of the circumstances and situations of our lives, and we all have them. I don't care how spiritual you are or how close you are. The devil's good at... at, at Square, getting us to the side, trapping us, putting us in situations, stealing our joy. So wherever you are, these principles work, all right? Because Koheleth teaches them, and I, I believe God's word. So you ready? Principle number one. God wants us to live our lives day by day, trusting him in everything we do. Did you hear that? Principle one. God wants us to live our lives every day, trusting him in everything we do. This means that we have to quit living in the past and we have to quit living for tomorrow or next week. Do you know that most of you in this room never live in the present? You don't. You spend most of your life living in the past because of some event or wishing for the future that was better and imagining what that future would be. And by virtue of it, guess what you miss? Help me here. The present. Now, now, let me ask you another question. Where does real life happen? Not imaginary life. Only in the what? So guess what you miss? Life. Do you see where I'm going with this? See, God wants you to spend every day trusting him daily. All right? Trusting him. Now, I can prove this. In Genesis, okay, which is, that's the first book in the Bible, so you don't have to go far. 
if you want to, you know, fact check me on this. Okay, in Genesis, in the garden before the fall, fall, we're told that God created a world, right? That's what the book is about. And, and in the world, he put a man and a woman. And then God gave that whole world to them to cultivate, right? To, to work, the garden. But it's interesting because there's not a lot of work in the garden that you hear about in there. In fact, if you look, go back and read it, there's only one activity that's spoken of that points to a consistent pattern in that moment. Do you remember what it is? Every day at an appointed time, God what? Yes. He would walk through the garden looking for who? Yeah, the man and the woman. So he could do what? Hang out with them. Talk to them. What's going on? What did you think about that animal we created the other day? That's pretty cool. The giraffe. That was wild. You know. But you see what I'm saying? This doesn't talk much about, they didn't, you know, and Adam and Eve planted, you know, tomatoes and whatever, you know, and they tilled the garden. It doesn't, it talks about none of that stuff. It only talks about one thing. God met them every day in the garden. And he talked to them in the cool of the day, it says. The way it's written, we see that this was a daily activity. A routine of spending time in the midst of creation, looking for the man and woman to have meaningful interaction. Folks, here's the, ki- here's the killer. God still does this. Okay? He still does this. It's been blocked by the mundaneness of life and our misplaced priorities who have not failed to see it. We're the ones who failed to meet God in this daily ritual. God still desires intimacy with each of us, you and me, every day. See, when my kids were growing up, 5 o'clock was the best time of the day for me. Okay? And it wasn't because I was getting off work. I liked that too. But it was because I was going home. And I was going to get to hang out with Matilda and the kids. We were going to play football in the yard or basketball or whatever. So from 5 to about 7, we were all just going to hang out. Okay, it meant spending time with the people I love. Now, so for those of you taking notes, here we are again. First, to move from meaninglessness to wonder, we have to be willing to meet God daily. How do we do it? How do we do it? We start, I think, by finding a good daily devotional and sticking to it. Find a daily way to get in the word of God and stick to it. Matilda and I use the Bible in, in one year. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's by Nikki Gumbel, and it's on my phone, you know, so I can pull it up every day. I can, I can read God's word, hear God's word, be, be challenged by God's word every day, every day. I mean, and it doesn't matter what you pick. Just pick something. If you're not doing it, find something. Start with, go on your phone and find, there's like hundreds of them. Find one and just start it. It isn't easy, but I guarantee you, folks, it works. It forces us to read our Bibles, and when you read your Bible, you will listen to who? Yeah. Yes. All right, principle number two. There's a fitting and appropriate time for every activity. We agree on that. And and by the way, for those of you who are just hanging on, you're thinking about lunch already, just give me a few more minutes. We'll get there, okay? Okay. Principle number two, there's a fitting and appropriate time for every activity. Therefore, it's 
our responsibility to choose the proper times for the things we do and be faithful to them. What this means is that we have to learn to refrain and when to indulge. Did you hear that? We have to learn when to refrain, when to indulge. We have to learn when to say yes and when to say yes. We have to learn when to just talk and when to keep our mouths. Yep. That's on us. We have to allow God to move in, move us, move you and me, into a world that's God-centered, not us-centered. We make the world about who? Us. I do that all the time. My wife will tell you. This is Bucky's world. He owns it, okay? But it isn't my world. I need a daily reminder that this is God's world. And I need to be centered on him, not on me. I need to see my moments every day as God moments because they're there, right? Because in the end, he wants to walk through the garden with me every day. That means something to God. It should mean something to me. So how do we do this? Again, it starts with being God-centered from the time that we wake up to the time we go to bed, which means we have to find ways to focus our attention on eternal things of life, not the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Again, how do we do this? It's simple, folks. We do it by prayer, okay? It's that simple. A simple daily routine of talking with God. Folks, Think about this. The atoning death of Jesus purchased the right for sinners like you and me, all right, to come to our Heavenly Father as what? Children. All right? And to be able to speak to God as Daddy. Right? When Jesus said, you know, uh, called God Father, he called him Abba, which wasn't the 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 word father in Greek. It wasn't the formal word. It was the word daddy. I'm sure you've heard that, but that's what it was. For Christians, it's a difference between talking to father. Whenever I talked to father, that meant I was about to get a spanking, okay? But when I talked to daddy, it was totally different. We're about to go do something fun. So Jesus paid the price for us to be able to talk to daddy. Daddy wants that. We have to find times. We have to find times, and prayer forces us to live God-centered lives. Now, the other part of this is, in our world, there's only really one thing that's created eternal. You know what that is? People. Think about it. People are the only thing you can take to heaven, folks. If you have some illusion you can take anything else, you're just wrong. The only thing you can take with you is people because only people will transcend that eternal line. So people are eternal. And we have to maintain that eternal perspective by being willing to see people the way God sees them. Think about it. The way he intended them to be seen. People are meant to be uh, not treated as things, to be used but as eternal beings to love and cherish because they have value. Whenever we treat people as things, we miss the boat. So number two is praying and seeing people the way God sees them. When we're willing to do that, that takes us into the eternal world and out of the world of our circumstances. 
which is a really small world. All right, principle number three is so simple. I love principles like this because they're really easy. Are you ready for it? When you live by principle number one and two, guess what? Beauty and wonder. That's what happens. You see, it's like clockwork. It's like a mathematical equation. It happens every time. One plus two equals boom. Beauty, wonder. The world of eternal, where God walks. You see it just different. All right? Now, I don't know where any of this hits you because I'm still trying to figure out how it hits me. But bottom line is, these principles don't just apply to you individually. They apply to your whole worshiping community. As a, as a body, all right? Let me just tell you that God is calling us both individually and corporately as a worshiping community, and especially now that you have this incredible building because it's going to be fun to have a new crib and to put all your stuff into it and get it ready and, you know, and, and, all, no, and use it as a resource. And I applaud you for that. This is a great resource. But just remember that in the end, it's not about buildings, it's not about programs, it's about people, Right? Okay, so at this moment, God is calling you both individually and corporately, Valley Hope, to these principles. One, to make time every day for intimacy with God through reading your Bibles, reading God's Word. Two, by centering your lives on Him, not you, all right, which means praying uh, and, and, and actually looking at people the way God sees them, viewing them as valuable. And then three, Trusting that he's going to give you meaning and purpose in your life, beauty and wonder. That's, it's going to happen. You may be down. You may be in a situation or a season that you can't see it, but you can trust that there's going to be beauty and wonder in this because God told me that. He promised me that. That, that there, at the end of this tunnel, there's going to be beauty and wonder. Bring it, God, because I believe. So let me just simply leave you with this. As we prepare for the Lord's table, all right, it really is all about time, isn't it? I mean, it's about time and what God intends for it and what we make of it, time. Jesus Christ, he loves to interact with us daily. He loves it. He still walks through the creation every day, calling us into friendship and, and intimacy, you and me, our church worshiping community. He does that. Every single day. All we have to do is look and listen. We can't allow our lives or our worshiping community to be reduced to mundane and meaningless existence, folks. We can't do that because they're both purposed to be about the wonder of living in this world that God has created where all things are made beautifully. And he wants that for us so desperately. And this is the other key that you have to remember. There is a desperately seeking world outside these walls of people who are looking for this. They don't know exactly what it is, but they know there has to be something more to life than what they see and what they feel. And they're looking for this exact thing. And you have to be the ones to tell them. If you don't, they won't know. Can't learn it from a building. 
and they can't learn it from programs. They can only learn it from you. Think about that as you go about this week. God has blessed you with time. What you do with it is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of being your children. We get to call you daddy. We get to read your letters to us that are written in love, that tell us about life, that are honest and truthful. They challenge and convict us. They help us grow up and be adults. And we get to talk to you every day. We get to live in a world full of people who have value because you love them. And we should love them too. So Lord, our prayer today is that Valley Hope would be a place where you walk and where anybody who comes in these doors can find you. And let's just go beyond the doors that wherever we go is Valley Hope in these hills and these hollers that surround this, this building. That's Valley Hope. And wherever we go, let the world see the beauty and the wonder of living in relationship with you. It's a sin to bore anybody with the gospel. And we know we have to earn the right through unconditional friendship with our lost friends and neighbors. Help us do that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit even now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.